podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Whistleblowers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Smith. I'm here as ever with Big Daddy Grits, Martin Gritton. Hello. <laughs> hello, Mark. Hello. Uh, and Gareth Dobson. Well, hello there. Well, yeah, so quite. Um, I mean, listen, I'm going to be completely honest with you here. The stuff we talked about last week is largely, not all, but largely the stuff that this week's show is going to be comprised of. Because you know what? All the narratives from the last few weeks are just the same, just heightened now. And let's start with Liverpool. Gareth, Liverpool, first time they've lost to Everton for, I think it's over 150 years. (laughs) And it didn't seem like a shock. Didn't seem like a shock. Talk us through it. Did you watch the game? What did you make of it? I did. uh, First time since 1999. So, uh, you know, throw in your preferred uh, uh, Prince pun. Um, But it was... I don't know. I, I I thought that Everton uh, played well. They they felt like they played quite within themselves and quite comfortably in the end. It it it, it was probably a more damning uh, Liverpool performance than perhaps even how well Everton played, which is you know an astonishing thing to say for a team who are still defending their title. But it just seems now that they're you know their their title run is over. You know we're not even in March, and that that's really them. It's. Uh, it's it's quite a thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think Everton had to play that well. I think they were good, but they weren't as good as they have been. I know they've been up and down so far this season, Everton. But they weren't... They were nothing special, Martin. They were, they, were, they just played their game. <clears throat> they got on with it. They, 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 they bullied um, Liverpool central midfield, that's for sure. But apart from that, that, that surely is the, the biggest problem here for Liverpool, that their main rivals, or their geographical main rivals, didn't have to play that well to beat them at Anfield. No, it, it comes down to the, the defence again, doesn't it? Like exactly what we were saying last week. The the defenders just looked all over the place and, and always a threat behind with Richardson. I think he looks... When he's... When he's uh, when he's playing like that, he's he's almost untouchable. Uh, but he's his own worst enemy, isn't he? That's that. I think he's he's his only opponent because he's just kind of he's got the pace on people. He can pull things out of his locker. He's got a great finish on him. So uh, I yeah, him. I think he he, yeah, he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Who's a better Who's a better sort of left? What would you call him? He's not really left winger, is he? But a left sided forward. Who's a better wide forward than Richarlison on that left hand side? I mean, I imagine Mane's Mane's there. Son's probably there. Is he better than Rashford? Is he similar to Rashford? Where does he rank in, in, in the Premier League, do you think? That's a good question. I, 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 he would probably get in most teams. That's the thing. I don't know yeah, who wouldn't want him. Would. You know, uh, maybe maybe City is the only team that, you know, he, he would Sterling, be a starter. But, uh, yeah, but wow. Jaff? Yeah. Um, I mean, I I agree. Uh, the key thing, as you said, it's when he's on form. It it's It's not that he blows hot and cold so much as... You know, he's either he's either pretty good or he's absolutely fantastic. I you know, he was definitely the key the key forward in this game. Um along with yeah, Pickford and Keane were probably the other two standout yeah. Everton players for me. Yeah. Uh but sometimes it's one of those things where while Keane did play well, it was almost like he had so many fairly simple uh, you know, removals of 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 the Liverpool attack that it just stood out because it was almost it was yeah. almost too straightforward. Just time and time again, just sort of extinguishing these fairly yeah, unproductive, absolutely. unoriginal kind of uh, efforts. If Michael Keane was to write a script of that game, 
that's exactly how it would have gone. He would have wanted that direct ball into him and him just to head it away, head it away, head it away. Normally, I uh, don't even noticed, I, I hammer Jordan Pickford. And normally, it's it's there's a reason for it. But, I've, you know, fair play to him. He was outstanding in this game. Um, he looked assured. He looked confident. Everything he did was solid. And he made a fantastic save from Henderson. Uh, and I think, you know, you watch him on that sort of form and you go, well, yeah, well, he probably is England's number one. Um, however, you know, the fact that we're talking about an assured performance, not an outstanding one. We should be talking. We shouldn't have to talk about that. It should be a given for England's number one, right? I mean, is he is he going to be going on the plane as number one for England in the Euros, Gareth, or even well, the train? Because it might be in this country. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's uh, all looking very bullish for that situation. I think he will be number one partly because, as much as Southgate says, you know, it's not about sort of favourites and it's not about it's about how you play. He clearly does have favourites now. There's certain players that he seems to rely on, and I don't know whether it's because. He just feels there's, there's no other options. There was discussion last week, wasn't there, of, of Martinelli uh, potentially coming into the England fold, a la uh, Almunia, I think it was, who was also discussed, uh, was it a good 10 really? years ago now? But I think the fact that you're looking at uh, you know, Martinelli, an Argentinian goalkeeper, to be naturalised, you know, maybe <laughs> shows that even if Southgate is sold, no one else is. Um, I don't think I would have him as my number one if I could help it, but... I mean, the question is, who else is there? Maybe Pope? Yeah, Pope's decent. Yeah, I'd go with Pope. Yeah. He may be not, not as good with his feet, but I, I think I'd, I'd sacrifice it for for how good he is as a stopper. And also, Pope has said before that the only reason he's not good with his feet is that you, didn't, you don't get to see him play with his feet because that's not Burnley's style. No. So maybe he's a lot better than we than we think. Um, another player I thought stood out for Everton was uh, Decore. Yeah. Um, he has been brilliant all season. Great signing. Uh, when Alan got injured... Um, I remember thinking, uh, there's not that much steel in that midfield anymore. But he's just—he's really stepped up. Yeah, was great. fantastic against Liverpool. Yeah, good signing. Is that your input there, Martin? Is it? Good yeah, signing. good, good signing. Well, he was, wasn't he? And it's one of those ones. It's like Dawson at West Ham. It's like, you know, they bought the right player in to do the right job. Yeah, which no, I guess—I guess, I guess <laughs> it is that simple sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that, you know, James was—he was quite. His pass for uh, Richardson was just like time to perfection. But if that's if that's all you contribute to a game and it's enough to win it, then then great. Sigurdsson right. as well. I, I, I think uh, Ancelotti seems to do that really well. He uses his subs really well. So he's like in the last twenty minutes, he brings on fresh legs to freshen up rather than change a system. You know, so like Calvert yeah, yeah. Lewin, Sigurdsson. I mean, imagine you know bringing on that sort of firepower, and it, and it made a difference. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but for as good as Everton, well, I mean, they weren't amazing, but they were good enough. And yeah. as good enough as Everton were, Liverpool were just, they just looked lost. I mean, mm. we talked about Kabak, Ozan Kabak, the, the new Turkish centre-back. And uh, we said, or I said last week, that he just looks haunted. And it didn't, didn't get any better for him, did it? I mean, the uh. first thing he did in the game was, and I know it was windy, but a long ball and he just... Off his old head, bangs it out for a corner. We're 10 seconds in, already under pressure. I mean, is, is he... <laughs> I don't want to write him off, but is he Is he going to struggle for the rest of the season here, Gareth? I think so. Um, it, it definitely takes time to, you know, to settle in. Uh, I know it's a, a cliche, but seemingly for some players, that's the case more than others. He, when he came in, he came with a reputation as a... As a a player with a lot of potential who was up and down. He wasn't brought in as a star. You know, he was yeah. one of the few players available in January when it's incredibly hard to, you know, 
to make movements and you know of players who who really are that important for their club. So maybe it shouldn't be expected. Maybe we should be tempering you know what we think he should, he should be doing. But in fairness, as well, I think he should probably be doing better than that. He, I wonder how long he'll be in the firing line for. Um, I mean, Phillips had a slightly better game, but you know, Klopp surely must must, must realise that. And, you know, it's not going to work with him currently. This isn't me slamming him necessarily. This this is a case of Liverpool, one of the biggest clubs in the world, the current champions, are bringing in this guy on deadline day in a, a crucial se- crucial part of the season over January, and he just doesn't look like he's really up to it. And he may well be fantastic in the future, but they needed to get someone in who's ready-made and ready to play Premier League football, right? This isn't. I don't think this is me being overly critical. No. I think this is just what Liverpool needed, and they knew this. It wasn't something where Van Dijk got injured middle of January and they had two weeks to sort it out. He got yeah. injured in September or whenever it was. They, they should have worked something out on this, and I, if I was a Liverpool fan, I'd be really, really disappointed about, by this because it feels like not only have they... I wouldn't say given up, but they, they've certainly relinquished the title very, very easily, and now they're looking at there being a real possibility of not getting top four. I mean, that that would be an absolute disaster, wouldn't it, Grits? Yeah, it's insane, isn't it? Looking at the table now, just like how quickly that that the amount of football that we've had, it's it, it's incredible how quickly you can find yourself out of it, and also Definitely. how quickly you can find yourself back in it. I mean, Chelsea, the way that they work their way back in it, and you know, and been steady, and we Leicester have kind of stuck at it, and a couple of wins, just put a couple of wins together, and it gets you back up there. That's um, it, and in, in the space of a week, you, you everything yeah. can change. It's 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 a mad season like that, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I want to talk briefly about the um, the second goal for Everton, the penalty. Now, everyone in the studio uh, on Sky Sports was saying never a penalty, never a penalty, but they have come out. I think the referees and and, and have established why they actually gave the penalty, and it wasn't the the fact that Calvert Lewin gets caught on his head; it's the trip afterwards. Yeah. Right? Have you all seen this, or, or yeah. am I sort of? But in that in that case, so we've got the first motion, which is Calvert Lewin knee in the back of um, Alexander Arnold's head, and then the trip. Why isn't it a red card? I don't understand this. I think he's not. He's nowhere near the ball. It's not an intent. It's not no intention to play the ball. I don't understand it. Not that I want him to be sent off, by the way. But I don't get the rule anymore. I I suspect it's a case of it wasn't. I don't know how intentional that fact. So they're saying the foul was fully intentional because it, it seemed to me that it's a case of, you know, it stopped Calvert-Lewin from scoring a goal and that was why it was a penalty. It, you know, there had to be, you know, some uh, some remonstrations for that. But for me, it was never about I'm going to brazenly trip him up. It did, it did seem accidental to me. Yeah. And that's why there is no red card. Um, yeah. Okay. But there needs to be a penalty because he, he was clearly denied a, a, an opportunity to score. I, I, I saw. I've not seen any of the fallout, so I've not seen what the referees have said. But to me, it, it, his momentum—he was—it was foul play, so he was brought down, but he wasn't necessarily going to score. So, I, I mean, oh, it's, it's, no, he's gonna—he's—he's going to score. But I mean, like he, his momentum—he's gone down, and it was the the, the final. Bit. Well, oh, I see. So you think he's already you know on his way I mean? down to the foul, ground before I, yeah, he gets I think, hit? I, yeah, I okay. The foul play is the collision rather than like a ta- like a, a tactical, you know, like you mm-hmm. were maliciously bringing someone down. And as Gareth said, it was whether it was intentional or not. It's you know, it stopped him from uh, staying on his feet. Listen, you know what? You know what? Uh, you, it takes a big man, 
big man to admit <laughs> they were wrong. And I've come into this today and you proved me wrong. And I am massive. That makes I've always massive. said that about you. You're massive. I'm a massive, you're a massive, massive man. man. <laughs> a big, big man. Well big, really, really powerful man. Uh, <laughs> let's move on because I want to talk about your team, Gareth. Um, like I said at the start of this podcast, uh, we are sort of going to be emphasising or re-emphasising what we said last week because your team Spurs playing against West Ham, Jose's comments afterwards, Jose's, the way he got his team playing before they went 2-0 down, everything about Jose seems to suggest to me that we're already right near the end of his time at Spurs. Is there anything that makes you think otherwise? Um, very little. I mean, there's. it's almost like there's a script uh, that you follow. And it's weirdly, he feels like he's just really skipped to the last couple of pages very quickly. Um, <laughs> the conversation he had in the, you know, the, the, especially the BBC um, uh, post-match he did where he, he, you know, it felt like his resignation letter or his, you know, certainly his, his massive sulk where he's almost expecting the sack. Yeah. You know, he says it, it's, it's not his fault that the team have, have lost eight of uh Eight of the last ten, or, or something of that nature. It's Blimey. I, I've lost count. Well, it's four out of five. It's, I think it's five out of six in the Premier League. Yeah, it's dreadful. Um, and the worst bit is they look completely out of sorts, completely shot of confidence. Um, I know it's hard to you know West Ham have been a better team than Spurs all season. They've been playing well, but it's the nature of the defeat and it's the continued nature of these defeats. And you know Mourinho abdicating responsibility for it is is laughable and I, I, I don't understand whether this is, you know, just a classic sort of tactics where he's sort of uh, deflecting from the situation or he genuinely believes that there's nothing more he could do. But, um, you know, I, I are quite troubling. So the only thing that, you know, can work in his favor, he, he's in a, a league cup final, which is the end of April. Does that matter? It, it I've, got, I've got to ask this because it, it's, it's a major trophy. Yes. But it's the most minor of the major trophies, isn't it? Yes, a hundred percent. Well, that and Europa League, I think, are fairly uh, neck and neck in terms of you know proper trophies, which aren't going to last that long in the memory. And they're the two that Spurs are going for. Yeah, I, yeah. That, that's that's the problem. Is that okay? At the end of the season, they might have something on in their cabinet. Fine, but is that a price worth paying for having a guy come in and certainly from the outside looking in, looking like decimating? <laughs> Maybe not just the dressing room, but the whole club. I mean, no, it's almost as far the best on this that if if Spurs were to you know win something and Mourinho to be given you know the third season, I think that's potentially the worst scenario because uh, this team <laughs> is peaking in terms of the key players like Kane and Son, um, and if they're you know if they they are the same or worse next year, which you know again if you follow how it usually works with Mourinho, that that's there's a fair chance that's going to be the happen. Then you're wasting, you know, far more important assets. Mourinho, which is, you know, Kane's the best Spurs player since God knows when, you know, he's one of the best all time already. Son is a player who as much as I'm sure he loves playing at Spurs. He doesn't hold that loyalty where he's not going to be looking around saying I should be playing in the Champions League. Yeah. You know, I've yeah. approached that, you know, that tier just below the very, very best four or five players, he's now in that in, the, in that position. Yeah. So they're going to be looking to move on. And the only way that uh, Daniel Levy will be able to keep them is by acting decisively and saying, no, it's okay. Look, I've, I, I fixed this situation. I've brought in a manager who's not going to you know, run this ship aground by much. 
Grits, let's talk about Harry Kane. Um, when Spurs lost 3-0 at Man City and really put up no fight whatsoever, I remember thinking this should be a game where Harry Kane decides to leave. Because <laughs> he, he, I think it should be because he's he's not getting any younger. What is he, 28, is he? Yeah, 27. Um, he, and he's quite 27. 27. I think he's 28 soon. But he's he's an old 27. He's got a lot of, a lot of yeah, miles yeah. on those legs and a lot of injuries <clears throat> on those legs. If If not now... When does he go? I mean, I don't, I don't... If you were in his position, okay, fine. He's playing for the team he supports and he's scoring a hat load of goals. Great. That is great. But a player like that, you just... Don't, don't you want some trophies in your, in your... Some medals in your cabinet at home? Don't you want something to show for it other than I play for the club I support? Well, it'll be interesting to see because he he's a player that's always by the book with the media. So usually you'll get a... a a shrewd agent or someone that would disrupt the situation by saying Harry's not happy. You never hear that. You never hear that he's unhappy right. um, because of his management, because of the way that, you know, it's, that's, that's the nature of him. But it feels like, if not now, when, like he should be forcing the club to invest in a team around him or he's off, you know, just give that sort of ultimatum and just say, you know, there's ways you can do that, but, there has to be some investment. I mean, like year on year, they, they they've not brought in quality that that has made anyone in the team any better. I mean, Hoiberg an exception. I mean, Sanchez was woeful. He's not yeah, got any better. Yeah, I feel bad for him because uh, he's a good athlete. He's a good. He's <laughs> positionally, you were like, okay, when he was 22, 23, you were like, okay, he's young, and now he's twenty five, yeah. twenty six. You're like, well, you're not getting better. You, if anything, you've gone backwards. So it's like. Um, you look yeah. at players like the, the team is littered with those players, you know. Lucas Mora, brilliant talent, but again, you don't, you know. When we see, when we watched them in that uh, Champions League run, it was just brilliant. When you, he came on, scored that, or he scored that header, sorry, uh, against West Ham, and you're like, okay, he's, you know, he's impact, but you don't know what you're going to get. It's not like a player again, mm. caliber mm. players that that they're looking at. Is how do they compete? Uh, and yeah. that, that team's yeah. way off. Well, see, a couple of months ago, we talked about this. We said, would Harry Kane and, and, and Son and, you know, the, the top-level players at Spurs, would they um, accept playing negative football for Jose and not, not this expansive football that they'd prefer to play if it meant that they'd win trophies? Well, now, Gareth, they're both unlikely to win trophies. All right, League Cup final, fine, but they're not going to win anything else. And they're playing negative football. So... I think is it the case that they're they're waiting on Mourinho to to leave the club before making a decision, or how does it work? What what do they do? I I agree. I, well, I'm sure that it's it's already crossed their mind that you know Mourinho might not be there for long. I get the impression that Kane does really like Mourinho, and I think he he was one of the players who did buy into this idea of you know let's go get results. It, it's because it, when. He was playing very well at the start of the season. The Spurs were winning more than they were losing. He already had that mantra, you know, it was like, it's just, it's about wins. That's, that's all that's important right now. But it's, you know, it's a process, like you said, that's fine until you stop, you know, until you stop winning. Um, and I'm sure he is very aware of his age and, you know, how long is it at the club and, you know, the amount of mileage. He's very comparable now to, to Alan Shearer, who, you know, in his prime went to play for his, his boyhood heroes, Newcastle didn't win any more trophies. And I think that, that that's followed him now around. It's like, you could have signed for Ferguson's Manchester United, but you went home and you know, your, your, you know, your trophy cabinet really suffered for it. And I'm sure he, he feels that he does have that closing window 
where um, Spurs will expect an exorbitant amount of money for him, um, which is going to And there's no off. one who can afford him. And there's moment, no one right? who can afford there's, it. There's so, no buyers. So, you know, the window, you know, the, the little... A prisoner. He, he is a prisoner. And, you know, as each year passes, it's going to be harder for him to leave or certainly to leave for a club that can, you know, guarantee him a better chance than Spurs. So, you know, the question is, where would he go who can afford it? It's probably Manchester United. They seem the most obvious candidates in terms of they they need a number nine. Cavani may not be there next year. Uh, Solskjaer's clearly, you know, always yeah, any team with money is surely looking yeah. at Haaland instead. He's he's eight years younger. He's, he yes. has no record of injury as as of yet, and he looks like a you know an absolute monster. Uh, right, we're going to stop there for this first half, gentlemen. Um, after the break, we'll be talking about West Ham United, the other side of that Spurs West Ham coin. Uh, talk about Leicester, and we'll talk about the United Newcastle game as well as a little bit about Jack Grealish if we can. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back to the Whistleblowers Podcast. As bad as Spurs were, West Ham were outstanding. Uh, Martin, you know a lot about West Ham. Right. Work at the stadium, for God's sake. Uh, <laughs> they are getting better and better. And that last half an hour against Spurs, they properly dug in. That was Moyes. That was David Moyes all over. I loved it. Yeah, brilliant. And Antonio, you worry about him. When he starts a game, you're just like, oh, you know, he should be wrapped in cotton wool. But he's just, when he goes out on the pitch, he just gives everything, you know. They're, they're a team 100% as, as Susek, when Susek, as a clash of heads, sprints off, gets stitched up, sprints back out. But one of my oh, colleagues said that he just ran past him in the tunnel. <laughs> he just ran past him, dripping with blood, sprinted past him, <laughs> got stitched up, sprinted back out. They're getting every single bit of his wages out of him. He's, he's been brilliant this season. Um, and I think yeah. that when you get teammates that do that, I, th- I think t- the Tierney effect as well, it's like players like that that actually make other players look around and go, hang on a minute, I need to back up my ideas here or just, you know, get get my shit together because, um, you know, just yeah. they just set the standard. I think West Ham, their first 11 is so solid and they've got couple of really good attacking options off the bench, but they've got really, really solid defence and, and midfield unit that they can just build on. It's great. It is great. I've got to say that um, that clash of heads was so check. <laughs> I know it's sort of old fashioned to say this, but, but, but you know when you saw the blood in his face, it was like, yeah. yes, I love football. <laughs> it's great. And you're right, he's because once he once he goes up and it's such a brave header. Once yeah. he goes up, he takes the contact. He's up on his feet immediately, trying to make sure the ball is nowhere near the danger yeah. zone. And then he goes down because he realizes, oh, I'm cut. Yeah. But it was just, I think you're right. I think you know when everyone else on on your team sees that. They see that this uh, this this new player. He's a new player who who, you know, he he doesn't have any 
previous affection for the club yeah, that we know baggage. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. And, and he's, he's there giving everything and it makes everyone else go, ah, you know what? Yeah, that's what I should be doing. Not necessarily as graphically as that, because it was pretty brutal for a lunchtime kickoff. But I, I, yeah, I just thought that was great. And him and Rice, I know you're a big fan of those two as a unit, Grits, but they were, yeah. uh, they were unbelievable against Spurs. And Spurs, Gareth, just, uh, I know we, we hammered them before the break, but they couldn't live with that, that double pivot, could they? No, um, and it's I think as much as a good team, it shows the the you know the benefits of a settled team. I mean, you can you can pick that those eleven players pretty much straight out. You know what Moyes is going to put out, and you know, and then you now place in uh, Lingard, who has had an absolutely flying start. It would be interesting to see how long he continues it. He's another player who's probably looking at the Euros, thinking, well. You know, Southgate likes me and I've got good form for England. Can I take this through? And he might, and England are now overloaded with exciting potential prospects in those attacking positions. But, you know, again, the fact that he's been there and done it and played well in a, in a major tournament is probably one of the things that's going to be driving him along as well as a desire to prove that he wasn't a, you know, a late an almost sort of mid to late career flash in the pan at, at Manchester United. He's, you know, he's an older player than, People think, I think people will think that he's like 22 or 23 and he's a good few years older than that now. Yeah. yeah he's 28. So, he's, a, he's a proper adult now. He really is. And he, but he's, he's taken this opportunity and, you know, immediately done well, which is, you know, hugely to his credit. Yeah. West Ham have been fantastic. Their next four games are very difficult. They're away at Man City, um, home to Leeds, away at United, home to Arsenal. Um, that sort of make or break really, I think, because a lot of people don't think they're going to finish top four. Uh, I'm one of them. I'll be honest. I don't think they are <laughs> going to finish top four, but who cares now that this has been fantastic. If they could finish top seven, you know, that'd be a great season, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I would say with those four teams, as long as they play the teams and not the reputations, I, I don't understand why they why shouldn't be favorites against Leeds or Arsenal. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 to be honest, Moyes, this was exactly the same situation Moyes got into at Everton. He took them to that point and it's whether the owners want to invest and or stabilise, you know, it's, what sort of players do you bring in to improve that? Because mm-hmm. um, it seems quite a well-trained unit, but they're quite fragile if you take a couple yeah. of those players out. Yeah, so um, let's, let's, see, let's see what sort of business they do at the end of the season. Well, you mentioned there, Gareth, West Ham could beat Leeds or could beat Arsenal. Uh, you know what, they could beat United away as well. United aren't great at home. Yeah, they're um, let's probably talk... comparable. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see, I don't see why why they should be scared of that at all. Um, United played against Newcastle on uh, Sunday night, the final game of uh, the weekend, the traditional weekend. There is a game tonight, Monday night. Um, did you see the Newcastle Manchester United game, Gareth? I did. Um, it was another slow start from uh, you know from Solskjaer's team, and you know Newcastle were were moving around fairly well. Dave. They're a funny team because, you know, I look at their their attacking unit and you feel that when it clicks, and maybe that's not as often as they'd like, it's they have got some good players. You know, Alan San Maximum is is fantastic. Yeah. Joe Linton for a player who I think is, you know, uh quite uh underwhelming in some places, does you know, looks like he's recovering from a very, very, very slow start. Um, I still think there's some hope for him. Uh, and uh, El- Elmiron is also improving you know he's came in as a very raw player his only experience was in the MLS which is a good couple of steps below so I wonder how frustrated Newcastle fans are because they are now you know fully mired in the relegation fight you know Fulham are right 
are right yes. on their heels. Well, we'll uh, get into that in a second, I think. Um, but to stay on the United-Newcastle game, I, I completely agree with you on Joel Linton. Since he's no longer playing as a number nine, he seems uh, he seems relieved of the pressure of being a goal scorer. Mm. And, and he... A few little moves in the game where he was fantastic on the right-hand side, uh, playing in the fullback was was really really nice. It was strange to see United against Newcastle um, because United I thought started fantastically for the first ninety seconds. They looked really <laughs> sharp, and then as soon as they saw that Newcastle weren't mucking about, that Newcastle were actually there and were dangerous, it felt like a it felt like a, a boxer who thinks they can walk through their opponent and then they get stung. And all of a sudden they go, oh, right, I better, I better sit back a little bit here. It felt like that. And then from that point on for the rest of the half, United were awful. And I thought Newcastle were pretty good. Uh, Grits, let's talk about Newcastle, Fulham. Because, yes, there's a chase for top four. There's a race going on there. Champions have already been sorted out. That's Man City. Sheffield United are done. West Brom are done. So the only thing we're really looking forward to now in terms of Premier League action and suspense, I think... It's between Newcastle and Fulham, isn't it? Which one's going to stay up and why? Oh, that's a tough one. I think Fulham have certainly got some momentum going, but I mean they weren't they weren't as good as they could have been against Sheffield United. I don't I don't think they were particular. They didn't move the ball quick enough. I think the players that they brought in that were looking really bright at the start of January. I don't. I mean, Lukeman's a, 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 a class apart, but. I don't know. I, I, I think Newcastle should have enough. But, I'm, I mean, Fulham have got a bit of momentum going. They've just got a couple of tricky games. They've got Spurs, Liverpool, City coming up. So, I mean, that's pretty chunky. So, um, you know, where I, I, I would say that Newcastle could get their act together. Steve Bruce is a good manager and knows what he's doing. But um, I think they've got enough firepower within that squad to dig it out. Um, if you would just for, for Fulham to get stuff out of these next three games would be massive. Yeah, so, it's just that I, that start to the season seems to have really. I mean, yeah. Fulham could be could be clear of this fight entirely, couldn't yeah, they? True, if they had that true. awful start. But you're right about the momentum, and I wonder if that's if that's the the biggest factor here. Um, I don't know. You know, I I can't. I really can't call this one. So I've got no idea what's going to happen with these two. Which is why I'm I'm really grateful for it because, uh, like I say, there's no real jeopardy anywhere else in the league. I don't think. Um, Gareth, can you make a case for Fulham staying up? Um, I can, but I think they're they're a better team than Newcastle, and they and generally over the season they've played better. I I do worry that they've you know left left it too late. You know they're on this run of good form. They they haven't lost in you know in four games now, but it's hard to say that a team who are still fundamentally flawed can keep this up, and they'll have to keep playing well. I have to keep pulling out results. Yeah for the next 10, 12 games. Yep. And there's a reason why, you know, they're 18th and not, and, and not 10th or, or 11th. So yep. you suspect they may fall away, but if it, it, if it was an even race starting from now, I would put them ahead of Newcastle, but I, even, even those three points is, is a big gap for, to fill them to jump up because they're going to have to, going to have to win a couple. They do have, you know, an extra plus six on goal difference. Maybe that will come down to come, come to play, but, yeah. I suspect Newcastle will, will gut it out. Yeah, so you're both going for Newcastle to stay up then? Yes, sadly. I yeah, sadly on Fulham's so. behalf, because they've yeah. been um, you know, a really engaging team for the last few months. Yeah, and I think Fulham are well-prepared and well-equipped to 
come back up again, keep the same manager, keep the core of players if they can, uh, and bounce back once the stadium's done as well, once the, uh, that stand's all finished. I mean, lovely, quickly, lovely new stand. The only thing worth pointing out is if Brighton you know, uh, starts losing. I mean, they, they, they haven't lost for a while, but they haven't won too many of those games. If they hit the ice uh, soon, then it could be three teams pushing for one position or one team pushing for a position against three. I'm calling this now. Brighton are not going down. If Brighton go down, um, actually, I'm not going to give some I mad. I did say quite early in the uh, season that I thought Brighton were being overvalued by pundits and uh, and fans alike. So <laughs> I still wouldn't be surprised if it gets quite edgy. Yeah, well, it could do. But I just said I, I don't know. I, they, they just they're just a very solid side. Anyway, uh, let's move on because it wouldn't be a whistleblower show without me banging on about Jack Grealish. So let's do that. Um, Jack Grealish, he's out, he's injured. Uh, reports coming out that it was leaked that he was going to be missing that game and that Leicester found out about it. Uh, Martin, anything like that ever happened to you when you were playing? Any uh, any big names not playing in the team and the opponents found out? Yeah, I've had, I've had a couple of times where players have, you've had opponents, that, say you've got mates on the other team and some lad has had a conversation with them the night before the game and then just like thinking it's just like a general chit chat and the lad's got information about it and then go back to his manager. Ma- the managers take that pretty seriously. Lads get yeah, weeks wages and stuff. It's like kind of, you know, it's a tactical thing. It's the same cricket, isn't it? We used to hear about those sort of things going on and players texting each other and saying, giving kind of insider information. Uh, um, yeah, I mean that's yeah that was a bit naughty. I agree that she's such an important player that I would imagine that it probably was quite hard to keep tabs on. And that information was out in the open mid, I think a few days before. A couple of lads I know had kind of earmarked that. So um, yeah, but Leicester still set up quite defensively, didn't they? Kind of on the counter attack to almost deal with him. Um, this, you know, did, did they change the lineup? Is that is that what was said? Well, I don't know. Well, I was listening to the commentators and they were saying the opposite. Well, Pereira was, seemed to be playing much more advanced, and maybe he'd have yeah. played a bit deeper had Grealish been playing. Yeah, yeah. And looked dangerous. And actually, yeah, it's it's a good caveat actually to talk about Leicester to finish the show with because we probably don't talk about them enough. Really, they're a serious team. This Leicester side, they they, you know, they they dropped off big time end of last season. This time round, they just seem that bit more uh, formidable, don't they? There's more fortitude there. There's more strength. There's 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 better options and better numbers off the bench. Um, I just really like the look of this Leicester side, and and I, I hope I'm not wrong in saying this, but it looks like they are genuinely one of the best three teams in the league. Gareth, uh, any chance of them dropping out of this top four? Um, not so much anymore. I, I think Leicester are pretty cemented now. Uh, a few weeks ago, you started looking at you know teams like Liverpool and Everton, saying you know, maybe they can push, but Leicester have have kept on winning. You know, winning three of the last four has been, I, I think, a big statement. You know, and Villa are not an easy team to topple, even with or without Grealish. And obviously, they also recently beat Liverpool. I don't see why they should they should falter. And we're, yeah, we're now hitting the final hurdles. Um, yeah. They're you know they're they're steaming in. They're, they're playing really well and with confidence. And uh, that core of that team has been there for a long time now. They know how to finish you know strongly in the league. Definitely. And their their march looks very good. Their, their march they've got Burnley, Brighton, Sheffield United. I mean, yeah. Two of those are away from home, and Leicester are fantastic away from home. You'd fancy him to get all nine points there, and that that, that month on it, on its own should do it. Um, right, that's all we've got time for. Um, guys, thank you for joining me as ever on the Whistleblowers podcast. Uh, anything to plug, Gareth, quickly? 
we have a new book out by Griff Reese, uh, the least ring of super fairy animals out tomorrow. It's called nice. Encores. and, uh, have a look. It's a fantastic thing to check out. Lovely. We'll and Grits, do you want to plug? Uh, do you want to plug the wire? And I've been watching a lot of that recently. <laughs> Absolutely not. Series five, pish. Um, <laughs> uh, let, let's call it a day there. Mark, you get into the plug? Uh, just uh, football three six five show on uh, on Thursdays. Uh, check that out on the social media channels. Right, that's all we've got time for. Then, thanks guys for listening. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll be back same time, same place next week. Bye. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.